0: He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner bag, and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst. Hey, do you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud?
1: Welcome to Munson's at the movies. My name is Kyle. I will once again be your host, I'm joined by the rest of the Munsons. Want to give them
2: a wide berth?
1: What is called a born
3: loser, a real Munson,
1: <laughs> and talk a little bit about what's going on in their worlds. This time, we will start with Aubrey.
3: It's been an interesting past couple weeks for me. Wife and I have been kind of doubling down, getting the website going back really good. Postcreditscene.com. We've gone like kind of upped our output. So we have a lot of stuff up right now. We have some stuff working. So when Maisel comes back, we got a lot of stuff coming with that. We just posted a review for Air, which is doing really well. Great movie. Mm -hmm. Nice. Also saw 65 with Adam Driver. It's pretty good. Enjoyed that. If you like dinosaurs particularly, you should go see that. I sounded like a child when I said that, but I'm okay with it. (laughs) Also a good person with Florence Pugh.
1: You're one of the few people I've heard give that movie a positive review. 65 in Babylon, you're kind
3: of in... Lone Wolf on those. I like this. Well, Babylon is a masterpiece, so I'm okay with that. Uh sixty-five, not a masterpiece, but good. Love it, man. Glad to see
1: hear you guys are pushing out content.
3: Yeah. Yeah, we're trying.
1: I'm gonna look forward to your review of Cutthroat Island on the post credit scene. Very, very <laughs> much looking forward to that.
0: I'll be looking for a long time.
1: Rigby. Happy to be with you guys tonight. Ready to talk, little Gina. Looking forward to it. Rigby, you had one thing you said incorrectly, and it's it's actually Gina. It's not not Gina. Gina. <laughs> you know what You know what I really liked? Gina.
0: Gina. So her real name's Virginia, and her grandmother goes by Ginny, and so for a nickname, her brother wrote out her name as G-E-E-N-A because her mom didn't want her to go by Gina, G-I-N-A, because she was afraid people would call her Gina. Gina. True story.
1: You know James has got facts on lock if he's if he's pumping them out in the intros like we're in for a treat tonight yeah he
0: wrote that in her memoir and i was like i thought that was a joke people just made for gina's like no that was a real thing my mom was afraid of like oh okay
4: thanks being that this is coming out on 420 correct it sure is oh, yeah i'm gonna get ahead of it even though it's not a friday yes my name is craig yes i do have a job Yes, I got shit to do, and no, I'm not getting high. So I'm just gonna get ahead of that whole thing. <laughs> Inevitable. I'm gonna get text messages all day. How the hell are you gonna get fired on your day of off? <laughs> well, th- somebody may listen to this, so that may come true as well. So we're we're, just,
1: we're working on the, the Friday prophecy. Ace <laughs> has learned his lessons with not mentioning that movie. Let's go. Gonna make up for it.
0: James, one of my best friends got married this past week and unfortunately the wedding was a little bit overshadowed by the fact that we played a round of golf that morning and I started off birdie birdie. I've never done that in my life before and it's just I just want to make sure people don't forget about it. I did I finish the round well? No, but that's not what's important. What's important is everyone at the wedding got to see me play like Tiger Woods for the first two holes before <laughs> the wheels came off. And, and like Tiger Woods, in the last two holes. Correct. And so I just wanted to make sure I immortalized that on our podcast. And you probably thought you could take on the world, didn't you, James? I was actually so in shock that by like the time I realized that what happened, I was like, all right, let me focus on this third shot. And I immediately shanked it into the woods. But I was like, but hey, remember the first two hole guys? Let's not forget about
1: how cool that was. <laughs> Red jacket, green jacket, who gives a shit?
4: <laughs> so long, sucker. <laughs> put in front for the mall.
1: <laughs> on the movie front, since you guys had a little run there, a movie I watched that was not part of prep for this podcast that I highly recommend people check out was the riveting story of how Tetris was brought to life on Apple TV Plus and the film is called Tetris Ooh. with Taryn edgerton It was fascinating to see how much corruption was involved in a game where blocks drop from the ceiling onto the ground. Uh, That was wild. Mike Vandervoort, he's back with us. He's a professional marketer and communicator by day, but actor and sports announcer by night, performing since he was old enough to talk. He is currently one of the actors and producers creating shows for Kevin Pollock's Zooming the Movies on Facebook. For ZTM, he's played icons such as Uncle Buck, Freddy Krueger, and Scooby-Doo, among many, many others. He's also lent his voice to numerous NCAA and minor league sports programs over the last 15 years. And he was previously with us for the Anthony Mackie episode, so he's making his return. Welcome back to the show, Mike. And how is it going in Zooming the Movies world?
2: We're slowing down a little bit just because, you know, lots of the, the people who actually, you know, get paid to act, they're actually, like, doing that now, um, which is really cool. <laughs> like, I'm, We're getting to see a lot of them, you know, actually do stuff outside of a box, which has been a lot of fun. So, you know, got to see a couple of them do Avenue Q uh, a couple weeks ago. I love theaters up on the North Shore of Chicago, so that was really, really fun. It's been a lot of fun, but, you know, we've been doing a lot of stuff. We just got done doing Forgetting Sarah Marshall a couple weeks ago, so I got to be Jason Siegel in that. Oh, yeah. Show off my singing chops. Nice. (laughs) I do love singing Dracula musical. (laughs) You know, I got to play Van Helsing at one time in life, and, you know, Van Helsing I will slay him. So, it's just maybe not not doing it every single night the way that we used to kind of you know keeping it to two or three nights a week which is a lot of fun because that means the people are actually working which is nice but anyways
1: glad to have you back Mike um, looking forward to it and uh, let's dig into some Gina Davis <laughs> birthdays April 20th as case mentioned 420 stoners unite stoners celebrate who was born on 420 Rigby first up we
5: got mr Andy
1: circus most
5: famously known as a CGI character Gollum in Lord of the Rings and a CGI character Caesar in Planet of the Apes. Incredible. But
2: good actor in his own right. Also one of the Tolkien white guys in Black Panther.
0: That was yeah. Yep. Always felt like he deserved some awards for his performance as Gollum. Gollum's a
3: legend.
1: I think Andy Serkis is, I'm going to say he's 49.
3: I'm going higher. I think he's 52. 41. Ooh.
2: I'm going even higher. 56. He is one-year-old. <laughs>
5: <laughs> he is turning 59. Oh, shit. Oh. Okay. I knew he Good was work. sneaky. Though. Good work, sir. Older guy. Our guest gets the first one. Next up, we have James's favorite actor and Craig Case alike Shamar Moore. <laughs> I see Incredibly it. Incredibly ugly. Shamar Moore. I see it. He's most known for Criminal
0: Minds, the show that was on the show that's been on CBS for years. In one Tyler Perry movie he's like like a construction worker and I was like no he's fucking not. Yeah,
1: that's right. He's like a construction <laughs> worker he's <laughs> like I of a mad black woman is the movie yeah. i think.
0: Yeah, he's yeah. like a construction
5: worker who's like broke. It's like dude, you're a freaking male model. If you know, worked anything. construction
0: <laughs> with him, you'd be like, "Why are you here?" Like, no way. <laughs> Just go stare into
1: a camera. Can you be shirtless at the Abercrombie? Like what is going yeah, on for right now? <laughs> All right, Shamar is 46.
0: This guy's 41. This is the one.
1: <laughs> well, I think
4: since we, he and I do get confused by people a lot, or he and I are the same age, so we're 47. There you go. That's just great logic there, Case.
0: Uh-huh.
3: Yeah, simple math. Give me 51.
2: I'll go with 49.
5: Aubrey takes this one. He's 53. Damn. Whoa. Oh, man. Back don't crack. He looks damn good for that age. Any age. Any age, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, That's a fact. (laughs) Okay, last but not least, one of my first dream girls, should say my first, but one of my first, Mrs. Carmen Electra. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. She was a heartthrob, 90s heartthrob, and stole my heart when I was about four years old. Former Mrs. Rodman. Yep. I was going to say, was she in the last (laughs) dance documentary? (laughs) She was. She was, yeah. She talked about their trip to Vegas and all that stuff. So,
1: (laughs) scary movie, baby. She's right there. She could go to death or safety. And she picked wrong. (laughs) And then gets a knife through her breast implant. That's what I'll always remember a Carmen Electra for.
5: (laughs) And her boyfriend, Prince, gets married out by the pool.
1: (laughs) I have
0: no idea. 44. How old is Michael Jordan?
3: I think she's 57.
1: Oh, wow. I was going to say 54.
0: 50 on the button.
1: 44. $1. There it is. (laughs) No way.
5: I think James wins this one.
0: She's turning 51. Oh, yeah. I got 50. Hey,
1: Ruby, so you didn't want to try to guess how old Hitler would be today if he was alive?
0: He was great in The Producers.
2: <laughs> Fantastic <laughs> in The
0: Producers. <laughs> Played quite the role in
5: Inglorious Bastards, but there uh, we, just had to, we had to leave him off. Happy birthday to all you folks, except Hitler. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs>
1: episode 82 we are here we're inching closer to 100 with every passing week and we had five actors that we threw onto the wheel and those five were anthony healed held i don't know we're not covering them so i never got a chance to actually figure out how to pronounce that maybe one day we'll get there i'll be ignorant Thanks. until then matt frewer gwyneth paltrow who's been in the the news a little bit lately and that would have been fun uh, and michael ely but it doesn't matter because the wheels selected Gina Davis, who's got 50 credits on her resume, and Mike decided to join us to talk to Gina Davis. So we are going to do our best to cover her career, talk about the highs, the lows, the things in between. We're not going to cover every role she's ever had, but we'll hit a lot of the highlights and we'll talk about things that stuck out to us. Before we get into the minutiae, though, we always start with a little actor trivia and see if James can stump us fast and furious. style.
0: Mike, in case you don't remember, or for anyone new listening at home, I'm going to read off three facts here. Two of which are going to be true about Gina Davis, one of which is going to be true about one of the many illustrious cast members of the Fast and Furious franchise. Guys, here have to guess which one is not about Gina Davis. You don't have to guess which cast member it is, but they always seem to take a shot. Fact number one sponsored the largest ever research project on gender in children's entertainment which showed that there were nearly three male characters to every one female character in nearly 400 movies that were analyzed. Fact number two is a member of Mensa, meaning she is scoring the top 2% of the population when it comes to her IQ on standardized tests. Fact number three, almost made the U.S. archery team for the 2000 Summer Olympics despite only training for it for two years. Hmm.
4: Two's the lie, and Vin was a part of Mensa. Two's the lie, and it's Jason Momoa. And that's only because he showed up at a Mensa meeting and talked his way into it, like he did his acting career. He just schmoozed his way in. <laughs> yeah, they literally couldn't throw him out, so they just accepted him into Mensa. So number two's the lie, and that's Momoa.
1: I'm going to take the Craig Case approach of, well, based on the, the facts, the for the actor I've selected for tonight, <laughs> <laughs> the one that I think could best apply and I think it's funniest is I think Rita Moreno, the one of the stars of Fast Ten, is I think she's an archer. I think she's just incredible Ooh. with the arrow and will fuck you up if you come to Ralph. She doesn't have a gun, doesn't have a baseball bat. She's got her archery set and she's gonna go Kat, Katniss Everdeen on your ass. It's quite the visual. Yeah, so you're welcome.
2: See, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with number one. Um, I mean, I know that Gina's really, really into, you know, gender and media and all that kind of stuff, but I'm thinking that we got a little diversion on the fact that it was the largest study ever, and I'm thinking that that actually went to uh, Dame Helen Mirren.
3: I think two is a lie. It's definitely a bow wow. (laughs) This is all a setup.
2: The man is committed to the bit. (laughs)
3: 100%.
0: Everyone's kind of scattered here. Okay. So then I'll go, uh, fact number one sponsored the largest ever research project on gender and children's entertainment, nearly three male characters to every one female character in over 400 movies that were analyzed. That's true. In 2004, while she was watching children's television programs with her daughter at the time, she noticed that imbalance and ratio. She actually went on to sponsor that project at uh, the University of Southern California, USC, Avid believer in the cause, and because of that, she even started her own nonprofit, the Gina Davis Institute on Gender and Media, which collects data through the use of technology and resources and monitors the industry's progress towards surrounding uh, gender equality. She's been doing it for 15 years, so she's very much not only talks about it, she bees about it, and I appreciate that. Fact number two is a member of Mensa, meaning she's scoring the top 2% of the population uh, with her IQ when it comes to standardized tests. Is true. Super intelligent. And I find that funny because we'll learn that she actually didn't do too well in college and then had to like reapply herself and whatnot, which I guess is relatable to some of the people on here. Um, But she is a proud member of Mensa. So is Steve Martin. I tried to look up other celebrities. Uh, There are some celebrities who I will not give clout uh, who are in that group. But Steve Martin's lovely. I love that man. So I'll gladly shout him out as well. Fact number three, also uh, almost made the U.S. archery team in the 2000 Summer Olympics despite only training for it for two years. Folks, all three of these are true. Gina Davis is an incredibly fascinating woman. Yes. After watching the 96 Summer Olympics, she became fascinated with archery, led her to seeking out a coach, training about six days a week. After two years, she became proficient enough to compete for one of the spots on the team. She didn't make it. She ended up placing 24th in the nation, which isn't good enough to make the cut. But after only having a hobby for a few years, that was incredibly impressive. And if you were to ask her, she does not claim to be uh, an athlete by any stretch of the imagination. But I think based on some of the roles we've seen, that's probably her downplaying it a little bit. Yeah, for sure.
1: Obviously, I was playing a little coy because the last video I sent to the entire group was a like funnier die video of her uh, shooting arrows at... <laughs> Stills from all of her projects over the years, which we will talk about some of them because once you've seen them, the context is hilarious. In particular, with Cutthroat Island, when she says, "That was a rough summer for Modine and I." <laughs>
2: yeah, video is good because so the weird, my weird, like fun fact of how we're connected a little bit. Uh, so I used to instruct archery at a summer camp. That was my summer job for a little while. And I will tell you right now, I can teach people how to do it. I cannot do it, and she's very good. <laughs> Even when she hits the mannequin square in the middle of the forehead, I'm like, dude, even just hitting the mannequin square in the middle of the forehead's hard. Like that's that mm-hmm. was good. Like, she's she's got skills and she's not afraid to make fun of herself, which is also awesome. So
1: Yeah. I love it. We should have known James was gonna do that when he was plugging facts mm-hmm. in the the intros and the bios. So some of these facts are bananas. Well, well we'll look forward to you sprinkling some others as we go along. Cool. Thanks, James. Absolutely. All right, case. <laughs> Sean, box office history. What's the data look like? Her
4: performances fall right in the wheelhouse of this matrix because, number one, I've seen most of her movies, so I know which movies to omit, which movies to include. But the other thing is, this is right at the beginning when box office performance and budgets, I, I don't know if it's a rule or I don't know what it is, but they are readily reported. So we've got a pretty full data set to compare her to our other performers. I'm just going to spend time about with two movies, and then we'll go into her numbers. It's the, the ends of the spectrum. We've already alluded to an infamous Cutthroat Island, which is actually the fourth poorest performing movie that we have looked at. Now, this is our 82nd episode, and I would say most
1: performers have at least 30 movies listed. We're talking 11, 12, 12- 13. 1300 movies, right? At least
0: I have a, uh, a cutthroat island fact. Um, it was once, oh, yeah, uh, the largest box office loss according to the Guinness Book of World Records it is no longer the case, but it was once <laughs> had the record for the largest box office loss.
4: On the other end of that spectrum, Tootsie had a 21 million dollar budget and world grossed 177 million. Damn, that was the second highest in 82. Here are her numbers, and I'll be interested to get y'all's take on this. Total box office, 71st. Star meter, time of recording, she's ranked 530th on the star meter, which puts her at 23rd. Her critic rank is 66.5%, and that comes in 7th. Fan rank is 42nd. She's 53rd in both box office metrics, and her overall ranking is 23rd, just behind Mr. Lithgow and just ahead of Mr. Rockwell. Thoughts?
0: Hmm. kind
4: of all over the place. Uh-huh.
0: Well,
5: I don't know. I was going to say I'm shocked that not it's higher, but she does have Cutthroat Island and just,
3: yeah. And she doesn't have a franchise. No. Yeah. Not a major one. That's a good point.
1: The number that stuck out to me in the most case was seventh critic ranking, which goes to show that she's been in really highly successfully critically acclaimed films over the years, and we all know that. But to hear seventh out of 82 yeah, really drives home that point.
4: That was shocking to me as well as her star meter being 530
2: right now. That's great. I'm a little surprised to hear that she's slightly higher than Sam Rockwell because I'm a Sam Rockwell stan, so that one's a little surprising. but
1: And they're not cheapies for her either because she's a lead in a lot of stuff. She's not necessarily a supporting character, so she earned it in a lot of cases.
4: Yeah, her name is at a lot of work. Hmm? With the fan ranking
0: being like top 500... It, I find it fascinating because I think it has a lot to do with the fact that, like, she is just so recognizable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even if she hasn't been in a movie in or a TV show for years, like, you see her and she's tall with this megawatt smile and a very unique look. And you're like, oh, that's Sheen Davis. You're like, mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, shit. Like, I remember her or... Oh, I haven't seen this movie since, you know, I was a little kid, but
4: I love Gina David. So I'm looking at the all-time star meter for IMDb which goes it goes back to about 1998. She's never been below 1000.
3: Yeah.
1: Wow. That's crazy. Staying power. Wow. Okay.
3: She's just memorable. She sticks in your mind like, mm-hmm. like I realized how little movies I saw from her prepping for this. But it was if you would ask me Gina Davis. I love Gina Davis. Yeah. Yeah. I know exactly who Gina Davis is. I know exactly how I feel about her. Like she's a star in a way that like not a lot of actors are like she just has the thing that makes you a star. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why she sticks around like that.
1: And she only has 50 credits. So it's not like she's got 80, 90, 100, 125 that other folks have that have been had careers just as long. So it's fascinating. This is a good teaser because we got a lot to talk about. Yeah, but I don't know if we've ever talked this much about someone's snapshot ever in 82 episodes. So it's a, that's it. A, that's an interesting start. We're cruising here, Gina. You got our interest peaked. First major role is gonna be 1982. So I'll, I'll kind of get us going on the early days, and then James with all the fun facts. I'm sure we'll pepper in yep. some pieces with the things that I miss. So for the second episode in a row, we've got ourselves a Massachusetts kid. So she was born in Wareham, Massachusetts, in 1956. So for keeping score at home we covered john slattery last time he's from boston she has a pretty heavy musical background so growing up she played piano flute and organ so she's got some talents off the screen there as well i don't know if she kept up with them but she was also the cheerleading captain so she's got that nerdy side of being in band but also the captain of the cheerleading team it's like the great conundrum there she studied abroad in sweden back in the day she went to new england college and bu james you said she struggled in school a little bit
0: She wanted to go to Boston University, but she
1: began at New England
0: College before transferring. She didn't earn enough credits to graduate, having received a grade of incomplete or an F in a few classes. So she didn't actually graduate from Boston University. She just, you know, Mm -hmm. said, I'm just going to get out of
1: here. Just touring the local colleges in the Northeast. That's all it was. And being
0: an incredibly intelligent person, my guess is uh, you're probably just not applying yourself. Yeah, this ain't for me. I'm sorry. I
1: remember a Mensa, you're like, this is yeah, you know, it's not a lack of ability; it's a lack of commitment. Yeah, I just
4: a, I don't give a shit. What can you do? The alumni office at Boston is doing a poor job
2: because she's an honorary degree for sure. <laughs> I think she got one a, an honorary doctorate and honor from like a couple different colleges. Like, I think she has several because I remember one of my favorite like facts I read about her was that. Apparently, it was always reported that she, like, attended these universities and she graduated from them. So she always hid it from her parents that she never actually graduated from college. So, like, her parents. <laughs> 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 just complicated otherwise, you know? So just... And you're just like, nah, like, they would be heartbroken if they thought otherwise, so I'm just gonna let her go. And you're like, well, I mean, you got honorary degrees and you're part of Mensa, so, I mean, I, I ain't gonna say that's Yeah, and... Th-
0: Her parents are old enough, they don't know how to use the Internet, even if they're still alive. They'll never know. That's a lie you could absolutely keep from them.
1: Yeah. So after the schooling experiments, uh, she went into modeling. And well, she actually was so she worked at an Ann Taylor store. And I was actually just watching the interview today where she was talking about this and the infamous stories that she she was a window mannequin like once a week that she got paid to be a window mannequin because the one day she was working, she's a sales associate and her and her coworkers thought it'd be funny if she just like sat at the table with two other mannequins in the front and just stayed completely still and apparently like people started stopping to be like what's going on here why is this woman clearly just staying still and apparently her boss got really mad and was going to tell her to stop and then her boss saw how many humans were outside the store she said yeah you can keep doing that we're going to we're going to bring it back okay. so the, her first acting role was as a mannequin at an interior <laughs> store that's hilarious. I think that's hilarious. I think it's fantastic. That's just fucking around. Yeah. Just how'd you get your start? Chris Pratt, you know, he was a waiter, right? Waiting tables in Hawaii, and she was uh, a, a fake mannequin in front of a store. <laughs> she signed with, not shocking, given tall, beautiful, right? Like that's, that is like the model look that they were going for, like tall, skinny, beautiful women. She signed with New York Zoli Modeling Agency in the late 70s. And she got married in 1981. She married Richard Amolo. I think that's how you pronounce it. Amolo? Molo. I don't know. Somebody correct me if, you, if you're if you a no fan clear. of Richard, of Dick. If you're a fan of Dick Amolo. <laughs> and she was married for three years. She got, they got divorced in 1984. So a short-lived marriage early there in her career. That's the only acting role to note before there because her first major role is really her first acting role ever. Her first role was in 1982's Tootsie as April, in Case has it.
4: Tootsie is a 1982 satirical comedy starring Dustin Hoffman, Jessica Lange, Terry Garr, Dabney Coleman, Bill Murray, and our girl Gina Davis. It did very well, critically. Like I said earlier, it did exceptionally well in the box office. Dustin Hoffman plays a frustrated and disgruntled actor. He teaches acting classes, and and it's a fun... So it's kind of a fun montage watching him teach these classes and then getting his ass kicked in these auditions. There's a great scene with his agent, Sidney Pollack, who's also the director. Pollack basically goes, man, nobody will hire you. Everybody hates you. <laughs> that hits him on rock bottom and, and through a bunch of circumstances related to Terry Garr, he ends up dressing like a woman and and reading for a role on the popular soap opera called Southwest General, he he ends up getting the role. He becomes very popular, or she becomes very popular, I should say. Begins to create some riffs because his disgruntledness carries over, and he's a very outspoken, and he hates scripts and he hates directors. He is going with the flow most for the most part, but he has to also change some things anytime his cover is going to get blown. And so, so it's a pretty entertaining watching him go through this. But Gina Davis basically plays kind of a ditzy young starlet who's incredibly attractive. We don't see her a lot in the movie outside of um, some scenes that they're shooting of the soap opera. And then some other scenes where she's used to kind of show that Dustin Hoffman's character is as popular as she is when fans come up. So she doesn't have a lot to do in this movie, But what she does do, you could tell that she's going to have a really promising career. It's shocking to know that she had very little acting work before this movie.
5: Yeah, I just know this is the first one that she auditioned for and she got it. So
2: Lines of that it was, uh, they knew the character was going to have to be in her like underwear or her bathing suit or whatever. So it was like, oh, let's find a model who can act. And so it was like her agents, she had a good agent apparently, because her agent was like, hey, hey, we got a girl. We got a girl. She can do it.
4: So her biggest role in this movie is just being the the aesthetic balance to Dustin Hoffman's character because they share a dressing room
1: looks very feminine essentially
4: a lot of the movie she's in her underwear or swimsuit or whatever getting ready for shoots and so you you're seeing the two of them and it's it's a it's an entertaining dichotomy
1: according to the wikipedia it says she was cast by Cindy Pollock as a soap opera actor who she, she has described as someone who's going to be in their underwear a lot of the time That's fair. That was accurate. Yep. Do you think she started there and eventually we're going to talk about her as a sexy vampire? Yeah. We're going to get there. It's coming. I love that.
4: This movie, like I said, was critically acclaimed, nominated for 10 Academy Awards, including Best Picture. But Jessica Lange was the only one who won Best Supporting Actress. Good
3: fun fact. Good movie. Go watch it. Fantastic movie. It holds up well. This was the first watch for me. First time I got to watch this,
5: I think it holds up well too, and it it captures the like two two reasons. One, how like the there's always like the male co star looking to hit on his female co star. What what links people go to to like get their get a role? Their big in, break. in acting.
3: Yeah, it almost plays as like a dark comedy commentary on like how bad we are at treating and representing women. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's it's a really good movie. I also think it's fascinating that. This movie on most people's resume would be the best movie that they were in. Yeah. And I think this might be like her third or fourth best movie. And it's truly great.
4: The comedy is never about his character dressed as a female. His female character pointing out the comedy in other people and and how other people act. And so I think that's one of the reasons that this does hold up as well as it does because – it it takes a pretty pretty honest and genuine approach to to this, to this character in this situation.
1: Next couple of years, she does a lot of television. So first and foremost, she does an episode of Knight Rider in 1983 alongside the Hoff. I love it, David Hasselhoff, and that clip is available on YouTube if you want to see some of her early stuff. Again, all gorgeous, right? You could see it's a it's it's in a similar vibe as as Twitsy. Uh, and then she has a big recurring role in Buffalo Bill over 26 episodes between 1983 and 1984, played Wendy. A couple episodes of Family Ties, obviously a huge show in the mid-80s, two episodes of that in 1984. And then stars as the title character in the show Sarah, 1985, 13 episodes of that. And she did eight other TV spots between 83 and 85. So coming off Tootsie gets offered lots and lots of roles on television.
5: I've never seen an episode of Night Rider. Same. What?! No, never. No, I know the theme song rocks. Yeah. <laughs> the theme song rocks, and that's just, yeah, that's just how Hoff
4: became a star before uh, Baywatch. Are you guys telling me I'm I'm the only person that's watched Night
1: Rider? You're the only one alive during that time. I think that's what we're saying. The car talks, right?
4: Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah, Hell yes, it does more than that. The car talks, right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Feeney from Boy Meets World. Like, just thought I'd throw that one out there. Yeah. You know, he was the voice of Kit. So I was like, yeah, hell yeah. Great writer. But I've seen like four episodes, Case. I'm sorry.
1: Case, I watched a 10 minute clip a couple hours ago. Thank you. We did that? Just for you, man. But lots and lots of television there in the early to mid 80s as she's rising up the ranks. And she rides that momentum into 1985's Transylvania 6 5000, what we're calling largest audience gap. And Rigby has this one from 1985. And Rigby, I just have one question for you. And that is, is it good? Is it good? It sucks. <laughs> it's awful. Uh, it's not no, good? Just,
5: I'm just going to preface that I didn't finish this one. Uh, not because I didn't have time, but but purely because it was just awful. Oh, shit. Very disappointing and disheartening to me because the cast is all, a bunch of people that I love. Jeff Goldblum, who we'll talk about soon in The Fly. Ed Begley Jr. I'm also a big fan of Michael Richards because I mean Seinfeld's my favorite show ever. This is pre-Seinfeld, but it's Michael Richards being wacky. Gina Davis plays a nymph vampire who. So backstory of the movie: Jeff Goldblum and Ed Begley Jr. are tabloid reporters sent to, I should say, reluctantly sent by their boss to Transylvania to basically almost act like there's you know vampires and and Bigfoot and uh, people like that running around. Just to make, just to get good press, and while they're there, they realize that okay, maybe these things are real, um, and they run into all sorts of quirky, ridiculous characters on their on their little investigation. Yeah, it's bad. It's really, it's really campy. Um, I I I don't like campy horror movies. For one, um, campy movies like that try to be funny, for, especially. And this is this. So this was kind of like my worst nightmare. There, Gina Davis is she's she's sexy and. It, in it but that's just because she's a vampire and there's no other really like love interests or like sexuality in the it's a lot of cleavage yeah there's no other like sexual character in the movie so that's probably it there's a lot of just like skits that just kind of fall flat even michael richards who i'm a big fan of at least i was before he went on his racist tirade in 2006 yeah he didn't even make me laugh not a fan of this one i'm gonna keep it short because i don't think it deserves any more attention than this but yeah, I mean, it's got like an 18% on Rotten Tomatoes, I think, or maybe even lower. Pretty low. Yeah, it's pretty low. It, it's She's lucky that this is not uh, lowest critic score because it's, it's pretty bad.
1: It goes to show her career that this audience gap is 41.18. Like, we're used to audience gaps of like 40, 50, mm, 60. Huge, yeah. And it goes to show like yeah. the high critic score with a lot of her stuff. She doesn't have a lot yeah. of audience gaps options that critics didn't like.
5: Yeah, and I didn't really like her in this. I mean, yeah, she's gorgeous and whatever, but like the character was way overdone. Luckily, she redeems herself with a few movies that we're going to talk about here in the mid '80s that um, are two of my favorites of that decade. So,
1: don't you try to transition us quick, Rigby. We we want to still talk. I know Mike is a fan of this one.
2: I will say this. Her character could have absolutely been played by just about any other woman in the mid-1980s. I will 100% agree with you on that part. Absolutely. As soon as you said, I don't like campy horror movies, I was just like, well, that's the problem right there. I love campy horror movies. I mean, when Hickman told me about this, it was one of these things where I was like, oh, yeah, because it, it's like Santa Jaws. And he was had no idea what I was talking about. So, by the way, uh, this is my plug for Santa Jaws. If you guys want a really bad campy horror movie, go watch Santa Jaws. I is it a shark movie? Because Aubrey loves shark movies. It is a shark movie and it is purposefully terrible. There we go. About it is there are some movies that are so bad that they they kind of come off the scale and they wrap themselves back around. This is not one of those movies, but it's really, really close. I thought Michael Richards was pretty hilarious at times. Like he's definitely one of the highlights of the movie, I think. Is good. It fits the whole vibe of what's going on. And I will say this since i watched this movie i have not been able to get the dang theme song out of my head transylvania six five thousand transylvania
5: 6. i did not even know about that song that the glenn miller song before
1: we didn't make it far enough to hear the song in the end credits <laughs> i didn't i heard that but they play they played the,
5: that song in the beginning they credits
1: they do yeah. but they really it comes back around they they drop it in ed begley jr's character is so unbelievably dumb it's hard to watch him watch that character but like goldbloom's playing it straight of being like we're we're gonna go to Transylvania? are you serious this is so stupid and the rest of it is just awful acting like terrible framing of the camera like the cinematography is awful in this movie so like technically it's bad i've seen a lot of movies in 82 episodes that i'll never remember and i at least will remember this <laughs> But I'll also remember Speed, too, and that's not for good reasons. So I guess that's not much to say.
5: It almost tried to be like a young Frankenstein type thing where it was like, yeah, let's try to ride that lightning. And then, yeah, it it failed miserably in my eyes.
2: As the person who has to do lowest critic score later in this episode, I would have much rather watched this movie.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Important note here. This is starts the Goldblum run, which will run into some personal life things here shortly. She works quite a bit with Goldblum here in the mid 80s. We're kind of doing it backwards. Last episode with Slattery, we talked about Confess Fletch and it being a movie that's rated well, but no one's really seen, not marketed potentially well, and Confess Fletch being the follow-up to the original Fletch, 1985. She plays Larry. This was a first-time watch for me, and it's I found it to be quite delightful. She doesn't have a huge role in it, though.
5: No, she's she plays like his office assistant, basically. Yeah. He's a, he's a newspaper reporter who basically tries to... He, Has all these like uh, alter egos that he impersonates to try to basically get get scoops on stories. And it's Chevy Chase at his best. I mean, it's just being it's just him being ridiculous. I definitely recommend Fletch. I believe it's on Netflix if you have that.
2: It is. It's a first watch for me, too. And I usually like these, you know, those that original Saturday Night Live cast is very much my wheelhouse of things I love to watch. And I had never seen this before. And I was, you know, like it's not my favorite Chevy Chase movie, but it was really good. It was one of those movies I was like, oh, this is highly entertaining. But I was also thinking she would be in it a lot more for some reason. I don't know why, but yeah.
1: No, you get a lot of uh, Dana Wheeler Nicholson, but not not much uh, Gina Davis in this one. I love your body, Larry. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's such a great movie. This was the first time watch watched for me, too. And I've kind of along the lines with you guys. It was a good time. I'm kind of glad to, to get to it because I've heard people talk about it a lot. Mm-hmm. I was glad to get to it to kind of cr- uh, scratch this one off the list. And it was a good time.
1: It's part of the reason why I didn't watch Confess Fletch last time, because I didn't want to watch that before I watched Fletch for this episode, because I knew it was coming. <laughs> so I was like, I can't do it. I can't ruin it by doing that. And Fletch
5: Lives is a sequel to Fletch, which that's like the direct sequel. That's like two years after that. And it's it's funny, but it's not nearly as funny as the original.
1: And it doesn't have Gina Davis, so it's not important to us.
5: It does not
4: have Gina Davis, correct? Without Fletch, we don't have Ace Ventura. Nope. Yeah, I agree. Not a chance. And without Gina Davis, we probably don't have Courtney Cox.
1: So it's a it's a win for everybody. <laughs> the observations that people come to hear from us. We're cruising back to some of these good ones here. So highest critic score is 1986's The Fly plays Veronica and Aubrey drew it.
3: Yeah, I hit the lottery with this one. Yeah, you did. This is... Incredible. So The Fly from 1986, directed by David Cronenberg, stars Jeff, Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis, pretty much. There's a couple other people, but those are the two main ones of note. So The Fly is about Dr. Seth Brundle, a research scientist working to develop a mechanism for teleportation, telepods. He meets an investigative journalist named Veronica, which is Gina Davis, in an attempt to impress her. He shows her what he's created uh, by teleporting one of her stockings, which was strange. <laughs> revealed to a journalist that he's made teleportation possible. And so he to keep his secret project secret, he trades her full access to everything he's doing, everything he had been doing up to that point and everything he's going to be doing for a book that she can write about it if she doesn't run the story in, in a magazine. Soon after the two fall in love, Seth advances the technology so... Living things can be teleported. And after a drunken and angry night, he decides to test the telepods on himself. Where owes to him, a fly enters the pod as well. His DNA bonds with the fly, and Seth slowly starts to deteriorate mentally while while he also physically transforms into a fly/slash human hybrid type thing. This movie is incredibly bizarre and just amazing. Yeah. It is a horror spectacle. Of the, of the highest quality. Cronenberg. From the jump, like from the jump, this movie starts on 100. And it's it starts on 100 from just like a filmmaking standpoint. The way he develops his story, he brings these two together, he moves along to get us to where we need to get to, is great. And he shows patience in the second and third act to allow what we're seeing to kind of happen and allow the tension to build. Then you get this spectacular, like... Incredibly bizarre and unforgettable third act. This movie's brilliant. It holds up really well. It looks amazing. I watched this on HBO Max. I will soon be watching it on Blu-ray again when I buy it because this movie is amazing. Oh damn. Goldblum is outstanding. Yeah. I think I love the way he captured the eccentric and brilliant side of Seth. And at the beginning, he's like this handsome, charming, kind of offbeat, like brilliant doctor or scientist. And then he becomes like this just tragic, insane person. And he shows those dichotomies really well. Gina Davis is wonderful. This was the last movie I watched. This is one of her best performances. She has to do like the sad girlfriend thing where she's like kind of screaming and crying a lot, but she adds a lot of depth to it. So she brings like a lot of complex emotions underneath all of this sadness to fill it out and make it feel real palpable. She does a tremendous job in this. You feel her struggle as she's processing like these unbelievable things that she's seeing. With the the horror of seeing the man that she loves kind of deteriorate in a really bizarre way. This movie is is about as high as I could recommend something.
1: Right. Like she's a supporting actor and everything else we've covered. This is really her first big lead role.
3: Yeah. And she matches him. Goldblum is going at it. Like he's getting after it. And she matches that. She balances that in a really good way. Mm-hmm. And if she doesn't do that, this movie becomes like almost comically bad. Yeah this was my first time watching this
0: movie and I had, I'd heard that it's a classic and I had known of the plot. Cause the plot is very famous. And when you see the title of the movie, you kind of get where it is going. <laughs> I found it shocking though, that the way it gets there is so it, 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 they develop the characters and it is patient. And the whole time you're like, when is he going to fuck up? When is he going to fuck up? Like, cause you know, it's coming. I think what makes that the first half of the movie work is like there's a clear chemistry between the two of them and it is more of like a two people flirting and kind of dating and they're unaware of like this tragedy that is taking place and I think one of the other reasons it holds up is it is just a shiny example of practical effects have aged so beautifully that like yes. the third act of this is like, truly repulsive, and it looks fantastic. Mm-hmm. Like, you're watching it, and you're like, if this was CGI, I'd be mocking how bad it is. But because it's practical mm-hmm. effects, you're like, I'm looking through my hands because it is like so gross. <laughs> but I was impressed that it wasn't what I expected it to be. And I knew that the fly would get into the teleporter, and I knew that that was part of it. But like, when he comes out and he like looks great, I was like, oh, I'm a little shocked. That's not what I thought was going to happen. And then, like, They have like vigorous sex and she wakes up and he's doing like upside down push-ups and he's like, I've never felt this good in my entire life. Like I have no idea what's going on. Doing gymnastics. Yeah, he's like doing exactly he's doing like curls and like uh doing the gymnast flips and stuff. Like he feels like a million bucks. And she's like, How are you still how are we still having sex? Like this is doesn't make any sense. Like I've never felt so good in my whole life. And then you see him like immediately start to change and i was like oh wow it, it really threw me for a curveball like what i thought it was going to be and what it ended up being I, I was really impressed
2: it's goldblum at his best it's one of the best 80s like sci-fi horror movies it's some of the best special effects you'll see in a movie especially from that era and it inspired one of the best Sp- simpsons treehouse of horror skits ever so <laughs> we we'll co-sign on everything everybody said <laughs> yep
1: you guys are being reckless right now the fact you guys think this is a good movie, he the way he murders baboons in this movie. Do you think Pete is listening right now? Wild. This is unbelievable. Wild. I'm kidding. But yeah, he fucking murdered the shit out of that baboon. <laughs> it just exploded.
3: I was like, why did he get a baboon? Like, don't
0: scientists experiment with rats? Of all the animals to get, he gets like an exotic monkey that could absolutely beat the shit out of him
5: i fully endorse the fly it's my favorite david cronenberg movie i think david cronenberg doesn't really make a lot of good movies but this is one is this one's incredible always been a huge fan of this one my favorite uh movie of hers that she's in Ooh, can't recommend it enough i love it
0: i hope my Stuart little 2 review can match that
1: (laughs) all right Following the fly, she marries Jeff Goldblum. Like I said, the run was there. He got married in 87. Divorced by 1990. Uh, Does anybody know? I didn't research why they split. I did
5: research it. Probably because he never took off the makeup from the fly and she was (laughs) grossed
0: out. (laughs) (laughs) None of that, neither of them have ever said anything negative about each other. And it's the point where like, even Gina Davis was like, you know, those few years we were together were magical. My guess and this is complete speculation, is like, look at Jeff Gold. He probably was just like, hey, you knew who I was when we got together. Like, I'm still going to just kind of hook up with who- everyone I see. And it's like, oh, yeah, I thought that would stop. All right, my bad.
1: Men, women, doesn't matter.
0: Yeah, yeah. He's like, uh, you know,
1: I, I I, am who I am. He's like Creed at Woodstock in a pile. He, he's fucking everyone.
2: <laughs> Dog may have slipped in. We don't even know.
1: <laughs> All right. Another banger. 1988's Beetlejuice. He's Barbara.
2: I mean, I think we could talk for like 45 minutes on this movie alone because it is one of my favorite like movies. It's probably one of the best Tim Burton movies ever made. I mean, granted, she's very much the straight man and very just mm-hmm. matter about death the entire time. But then again, you know, her and Alec Baldwin have to carry a lot of that movie because one of the things I've realized when watching this again, because I will watch this movie anytime, is that Michael Keaton's only in like 17 minutes of this movie. Yes, there's a lot of Baldwin and Gina and Winona Ryder. Winona Ryder. So it's
1: Catherine O'Hara too.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah. Fantastic Green
1: actress
3: in there. She's great in this. This was another first-time watch for me. Oh really? All right. Well then, I'd love to hear you. You never seen Beetlejuice? It's one of those things where like I really like Tim Burton, but there's a handful of them I need to kind of catch up to, and this was one of the ones that I needed to catch up to. Catherine O'Hara is great. The dinner scene I will never forget. Yeah, the dinner scene's incredible. Mm-hmm. That dinner scene is spectacular i will always remember this movie for that i would recommend it to most people who like tim burton or like those type of movies
2: there's just kind of it's a, one of those things where it's a very unique movie Yeah, there's been a movie like it before it and there's not really been a movie like it since then. yeah and so i think for me that's a big that's a big drawing part or drawing point for it is that it's so unique
0: you're right about the visual I mean, sometimes tim burton does this and i can't stand it and this is one of those movies where he he does it, and I find it incredibly enjoyable. I love the the dead football team. I love the waiting office with the head shrink guy next to him. <laughs> Michael Keaton's only in it for a little bit, but he steals every scene he is in. It's like an instantly iconic character. If you were to like list out this plot, in like a basic format, you'd be like, oh yeah, that sounds interesting. But when you add the details to it, you're like, no one will ever watch that movie.
4: <laughs> and it was incredibly successful. It was like almost instantly iconic with how bizarre it is. I remember when this came out and no one knew what to think of it and then like you said it quickly became very iconic this was peak michael keaton yeah. and as it relates to gina davis this was the first movie that i found her funny in mm-hmm. even though she's playing that the straight man here they're talking about how dirty the house is and she can't clean and baldwin's character is like well maybe this is heaven and she's like uh uh-uh. uh there wouldn't be dust in heaven mm-hmm. uh, she says it so honestly it's hilarious to me it's hard to be
1: funny as as the straight man mm-hmm. she wins her first oscar First time being nominated in 1988, The Accidental Tourist, a movie we talked about with uh, Willie Hurt. Mm-hmm. Played Miro.
3: I did not like this movie. <laughs> I don't remember what you guys said last time. I didn't really love it either. I did not like this movie at all. I don't even know if
1: we really talked about it much last time, to be completely honest. No, we didn't. I don't think.
3: The thing I like about it and the thing I will probably forever remember this movie for is the score. I really like the score. It does, yeah, the score is solid. But I did not like this movie very much. I'm not really sure how Gina Davis won this Oscar. Not either.
1: This is one of those, like, every once in a while we run into an actor that wins an Oscar for something, and I'm like, I watched all these movies with Gina Davis, and this is one I remember the least mm-hmm. of her performances.
2: This is one of the, like, two movies that I really wanted to watch and did not get around to uh, for the episode, so I haven't seen it. But I remember reading something... That said that she was, she had the leading actress role in the movie, but they put her up for supporting actress because they knew it would basically guarantee the movie a win.
3: Yep. I read that as well. Category front. Mm. Interesting. However, who she won against. First of all, the 1989 Oscars. As a person who loves the Academy Awards and loves award shows just in general, she beat Sigourney Weaver *The Working Girl, Joan Cusack and Working Girl. Francis McDormand and Mississippi Burning and Michelle Pfeiffer and Dangerous Liaisons. Damn. Pretty good. Whoa. How did she win this Oscar?
2: Okay, that adds a lot of context. That's really impressive.
3: Huh. How did she win this Oscar?
2: For a pretty mediocre movie.
0: I mean, how many Oscars do they got to give Francis McDormand? You know, someone else <laughs> has <laughs> need to give her that, that one. That Mississippi Burning that. was incredible.
1: She <laughs> they made it up one. to she it. She wins Best Actress Awards, not Best Supporting. Actress
0: yeah, Award. I mean, You've got to let other people win. They made it up to her for this
3: one. Let someone else eat for once. Jesus. <laughs> so I listened to her book. Um, and this was one of my favorite parts because I love the Oscars. She talks glowingly about this time. Not about the critics. Critics got slapped pretty hard because they were like, She's not gonna win. because I don't know why she's here. This is terrible. She's the only person that can't win. She she loved winning that award. Like, she talks about it with like real, like. Praise and graciousness. She was all in. And I just, as a fan, I like hearing that kind of thing because mm-hmm. the Oscars are important to me. So it's nice to know that, like, it's also important to the people that win, even though I don't know, <laughs> I don't think she should have won.
1: Especially for someone who's taken so much time and energy to. Criticized the industry too so to hear that it wasn't toxic for her is a good thing to hear you guys less than a decade ago she was a mannequin
2: in a store that's right
3: <laughs> that's that perspective is amazing
1: less than a year later she plays a woman in a bikini with a bunch of aliens and earth girls are easy there you go a movie we covered in the jim carrey episode yep uh, because he's jim carrey is jim carrey exactly what you'd expect Zebo? i think his name is Zebo in there but I totally forgot this movie is a, a musical. Like, I guess I missed that the first time. And then when it got to the scene where Gina starts singing, I was like, Oh fuck. I forgot.
2: This is a musical. <laughs> <laughs> this was the first watch for me. I think it may have been for, you know, a lot of folks, but at the same time, like I would just say it's loosely a musical. When I try to describe this to people, I'm like there are musical interludes.
1: There's like five or six musical pieces. Yeah. But it's not, it's not a true musical.
2: That said, it is one of those movies that I was, like, again, like I was talking about earlier, there are some movies that are so, like, bad that they come around to being good. This one is, like, almost, like, quirkily good.
1: I like Earth Girls Are Easy. It's an easy rewatch for me.
2: It's just, like, kind of fun and entertaining and, like, I don't know, there's something about her character in this that is, like, somewhat endearing to me. Like, mm-hmm. my girlfriend used to work, like, high-end fashion and, like, listening to Gina Davis's character and her friend boss, Candy talk about things i just sat there and i was like this this is like listening to my girlfriend and her friends talk to each other (laughs) i was like i can see this and then she made the comment about how norway is the capital of sweden and i went okay no my girlfriend and her friends are a lot smarter than (laughs) that i i just thought it was really funny too like a young jim carrey young damon Wayans, like they're fantastic
1: another jeff goldblum too and this is yeah. her and Goldblum are love interest in this movie. And that
2: was one of the interesting things. I didn't mention it when we were talking about Transylvania Six Five Thousand, but it's this movie really sets it apart how tall that man is. Very tall. And when you see Transylvania Six Five Thousand, he looks very normal. And then you realize that like Ed Begley Jr. is six three, six four, and is shorter than Jeff Goldblum. And the reason Gina Davis looks so normal next to both of them is because she's like five ten. But then in this movie, he's like an Adonis. <laughs> <laughs> his little makeover he comes out he's got the wind blowing in his skin and i'm just like damn that is one of the sexiest men alive and there's not even a question yeah. about it
1: right? <laughs> when she gave her speech when she got the humanitarian award from the oscars in 2019 she made a joke about this movie and that like, she talked about these like empowering female roles and then she's like, then I did this movie called Earth Girls Are Easy earlier in my career. Not terribly proud of it.
3: She talked glowingly about it.
1: Yeah, I figured it was just
3: in jest, which that's kind of the that's kind of the bit of her book though as she talks she's really positive about pretty much everything. So like there's nothing like scandalous or salacious in this. She doesn't talk bad about hardly anybody. Yeah. But she talks really glowingly about this book, which I considered watching. And I looked at this and I looked at it over and over again. And I was like, Kyle, Kyle, I know he likes this movie. I know he does. I do. And I know he wants me to watch it. I do. And then, isn't Damon Wayans in this movie? Is this is. Movie? Yeah. And so yeah. that was like, okay, Damon Wayans is in it. And I was just like, no, I'm not doing this. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just.
2: The other actor that I think is fantastic in this is Michael McKean. Yeah. Who you're seeing in like every Christopher Guest movie. And he plays a like usually like an uptight, like conservative kind of like dick. And in this one, he's like the chill stoner bro, like surfer guy.
1: He's a surfer, bro. It's so
2: funny. <laughs> I'm watching it, and I didn't even realize it was him until about halfway through the movie. And I'm like, holy shit, that's Michael McKean. This is a movie. This is a part unlike anything he's ever done. And man, he's so good at it.
5: I'd like to go on record and say that Michael McKean is good in
1: absolutely everything he's in. I love that guy. Yeah. I'd love to cover him one day. Put it on the board. Case, you said around this time she got denied from the SNL ranks? <laughs>
4: She hosted Saturday Night Live in '89, and five years before that, she auditioned for season ten and did not get it.
1: Uh, neither did Jim Carrey. So makes sense coming off Beetlejuice and Accidental Tourist. You're going to get an invite to SNL because you're on top of the pop culture world. Yeah, 1990, she plays Phyllis in a movie called Quick Change alongside Bill Murray, Randy Quaid, Stanley Tucci makes an appearance as an Italian gangster in this movie. It's a, a film where it's like a bait and switch film where Gina, Quaid, and Bill Murray play bank robbers who then essentially in the middle of the the standoff find a way to sneak their way out with the money and end up being on the run from cops the rest of the movie. And the main cop trying to chase him down is played by Jason Robard. And it's dumb, but I didn't mind it. And Stanley Tucci is an Italian gangster, is hilarious. He's such a young actor early in his career and he's entertaining to watch anybody else watch
2: i was gonna say i did and then halfway through the movie about the time when bill murray changes out of the clown makeup i realized that this used to be one of those movies they would play on comedy central like during the day when i was in <laughs> and so i was like i have definitely seen this movie before and I remember thinking why the hell was gina davis in a movie with randy quaid and bill murray but here it is Mm-hmm. It's it's a fun little movie. It's again, like I said, it's a Comedy Central daytime movie. Like that's a perfect description of it. Although I do know that Gina Davis did not have a great uh time. Movie. No, not with Bill. Yes,
3: I was going to say this. Her
2: and Bill Murray are not buddies. And like I know Bill Murray's problematic, but like hearing her like firsthand take of it was one of the more like detailed versions of things about him that I've heard. That I was like, son of a bitch, this dude's kind of a dick. The more we
0: learn, the more we're like. uh He's tough. It's tough to have a podcast I mean, named after his, one of his most famous movies. <laughs> I mean, I
1: knew as soon as he was at that diner and said, "Hey, you? No, not you. You. Hi. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> not you. Hi. I just do these little moments for Rigby because I know he's going to react. Right. Yeah. I, it's not a great movie. Not a great Gina Davis role, but it's it's got some fun elements to it. I think the first act is really good. Yeah, the, I like the first yeah. act. Yeah. It kind of falls
3: off after that. Yeah, it peaks. You, you can't keep up with that.
1: It's like the equivalent of, um, what was the movie we talked about with John Slattery that was like the first half was incredible and the second half was the biggest dud I've ever seen in my life, Rigby? Oh, uh, Sleepers. Sleepers. Sleepers, yeah. Great first half, but then it just goes to yep. shit after. It's pretty sick. Yeah. But she redeems herself. 1991, Thelma and Louise, some film we talked about in the Susan Sarandon episode. This role got her Oscar, BAFTA, and Golden Globe numbs
2: incredible movie first watch so oh ooh.
3: oh wow same
2: so it was one of those movies where i knew that for this episode i was going to have to watch it and it was one of those things like telling people around my office too and it's i work with a lot of women of a certain age who this movie was definitely targeted towards and what i would mention like oh i've never seen this it was just what you've never seen felma and louise well no i'm sorry i i was born like two years before it came out and just never got around to it uh but yeah, this is a great movie. Like, I totally get the hype. Like, Everyone kind of knows the ending. And so for me, it was how do they get to that ending? And there were so many times where I went, okay, so it's going to happen now, right? So it's going to happen now, right? So it's going to happen now, right? And then just stuff kept happening. Just like the the performances and why people rave over this movie and Sarandon and Gina's performances in this movie, it's just one of those things where you're like, yeah, totally checks out. Get it 100%. Get why this is so iconic. People love this movie and... Why people praise their performances so much? Because those two gave career, you know, defining performances.
3: Watched this one yesterday for the first time. Was saving it towards the end. Mm-hmm. This is one of the best movies I've ever seen. Okay, Ooh. like just full stop. I adore this movie. I think it's absolutely brilliant. It's perfect the way they play it out. Because I, you know, you know the story. You know pretty much what's going to happen for the most part of how like the ending, but. You know, you could kind of piece together some other elements of it: how they get there, what the characters go through, where they start, how they transform, all that kind of stuff. To me, is just beautiful. Gina Davis is great; like she is absolutely great. This is probably her best performance—not probably. This is her best performance, in my opinion. But Susan Sarandon left Earth on this; like she, that is, that is like Hall of Fame shit. She's doing in this movie; it's incredible. I love every piece of this movie and i'll probably watch it a hundred more times i think this movie is top tier
1: i would say it's sarandon's best role but then you would have to forget there's a world where bull durham doesn't exist so it's it's a you know you have that
2: rocky horror picture show my friend just that one.
1: <laughs> go listen to this episode if you want more details on that one i wasn't aware
0: that gina davis and christopher mcdonald actually dated during the filming of this, I believe, or shortly thereafter, and to the point where they were engaged, which makes their relationship so much funnier on screen because they're in like a toxic relationship, and it makes it makes that fucking joke that she makes uh, so much funnier. Where she's like, "I'll know if he's lying based on his tone and his voice when he picks up the phone." She calls and he's like, "Oh my, hey, honey, how are you?" She hangs up, shows he's lying. She
1: he's lying. lying. <laughs> <laughs> like, the little thing I learned. Well, watching Gina davis stuff is this was really like brad pitt's first role and she read with the four final actors for this role and i thought it was so fascinating who she said they were so she said he was the fourth when he came in she was like the other three brunettes they were lovely then he came in and she was like i was so enamored with his talent and how talented he was and i think she obviously is talking about <laughs> his attractiveness And after she was like, well, I'll tell you like the fourth one, he was great. And then she goes on to tell you the other three. I forget one of them, but one was Mark Ruffalo. And then the hilarious story was years later, she was on a plane sitting next to the other one. And one of the stewardesses was like, do you know who you were sitting next to? And she jokes, she's like, you know who he was sitting next to like, come on. (laughs) And it turns out it was George Clooney and he was pissed that he didn't get the role all
3: those years ago. That's so funny.
1: Brad Pitt got his like first big role by beating out George Clooney and, and Mark
3: Ruffalo. She fought hard for this role too.
2: Yeah.
3: Oh yeah, she did. She talks about this in her book at length. Like she fought really hard for this. She read the script early. She had, she had her people call like Ridley Scott over and over and over again other people were cast and she was still like reaching out to try to get in it like she fought hard to get into this movie so
1: not only is an incredible role and movie for her i think it's a game changer for where she goes with her career because she talks about like female character representation she saw how women that went and watched this movie saw like this redeeming empowered female characters and it helped shed the light for her on wow Hollywood needs to get its act together so not only is it big for her career it's just big for her off the screen too like this is this is the pinnacle of everything she's done in the in the industry
3: she credits this movie and Susan Sarandon specifically for that turnaround in her Yeah, because like that's part of the the theme of the book is that she's like dying of politeness like mm-hmm. she grew up in like a real kind of rigid strict like really polite Situation and then Susan Sarandon like lobbied for her to speak up, taught her a lot of these different things, and she credited this movie and her for shaping pretty much who she is now in that sense.
1: 1992 Hero plays Gail, a movie where Dustin Hoffman plays a big old turd piece of shit who is just a huge, he's a terrible dad, all the terrible things, and he just like is walking past when a plane goes down. And out of like pure guilt he goes in and helps some people, including Gina Davis's character who plays a news reporter. And then they spend the rest of the movie anointing Andy Garcia's character as a homeless man because he had uh, Dustin Hoffman's like shoe with him that he gave to him in a car. Dustin Hoffman's character is so loathable in this film it's hard to get behind it. But I will say some of the better acting I've seen from her, she has a scene where she is cutting an onion and giving this really impassioned inspirational speech and it's a fucking phenomenal speech while she's crying from cutting an onion
3: she talked about that onion cutting speech because they did a take where she 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 practiced all night to do this they got the right they got like specific type of onions all that kind of stuff and they went to shoot the scene and she couldn't cry anymore (laughs) like no matter what they did they put like onions like in her eyes and she still wouldn't cry oh but she also this was her Taking what she learned from Susan Sarandon and Thelma and Louise and applying it because the ending was supposed to be different, and she lobbied for it to change. So like she completely spoiled the movie for me. So I know how that <laughs> ends, and I will not spoil it for all of you because the originally the ending is she wasn't supposed to know
0: mm-hmm.
3: whatever was going on with Dustin. Hoff- she wasn't supposed to know. She's like, I don't like that. My character should know. There should be some resolution to this. And she like held out to where they were like basically lying to her, like, we'll change it, we'll change it. And they never did. And it got to the shooting day, and she was just like, no, you should change it. I'm not. I, you need to change this ending. And so the ending is what it is, because she lobbied for it to be that way.
1: But I highly do recommend that people check out League of Their Own, where she got another Golden Globe now. 1992. Plays Dottie, the League character. And I'd totally forgotten it was really like a sister story. I, d- I guess over the years, since I last saw it, I'd... Forgot that element to it.
5: This movie's like an American classic.
1: It truly is. Yes.
2: I could talk about this movie for hours. To me, this is Gina Davis's best role. It's probably the first movie I actually saw her in when I was a kid. It's a very impactful movie for me personally. I know that we're on video now, but obviously the podcast can't see. I'm wearing a t-shirt that says women belong in sports. <laughs> I'm purposely wearing that for this episode. Because that movie, I grew up with a lot of women and a lot of women, well, and one of whom was very close to me who was an athlete. I mean, she she was a softball player. And growing up, like every time I'd look at her, I just went, You're Dottie. Like, you are Dottie. And when she saw Dottie, she saw Dottie in herself. And like seeing how that movie impacted the women in my family, especially the women that are the same generation that I am and just how confident it made them, how it made them want to be a part of sports, how it made them want to be, like, you know, do the things that, like, their dads did, their brothers did, like, saying, like, oh, you know what? That's not just for boys. That's for me, too. And just a lot of that spirit and the stuff that came out of this movie is just... My mom went through the whole, like, you know, women's working rights thing, and, like, she would watch this movie and sit there and go, like, yeah, you need to watch this because, like, This is the kind of stuff I want my son to learn. It's one of those movies that her character is great. There's a lot of humor in it. There's a lot of heart in it. It's a great sports story. For me, it's one of my favorite baseball movies. I mean, if you want to talk about just like baseball, like it's a good baseball movie. There's a lot of good baseball in it. It's not just like, oh, they're girls who play baseball and these are the girls in their relationships. It's There's baseball. Like there's actual baseball in it. And obviously Tom Hanks is fantastic. And I know one of my favorite stories, I read it too when I started talking about how she always wanted to be the nicest person on the set, but Tom Hanks was always <laughs> repeat her out at that because he's the nicest human being <laughs> ever lived. Okay, I probably saw this movie about the same time I saw Space Jam, and to me, I li- like like seven year old little Mike Vandevort running around, little football baseball player, watching who grew up in Chicago watching Michael Jordan play. Space Jam was cool, but Dottie Hinson and Kit were just as cool. Being someone who worked in sports, who worked with women's athletes who has a lot of women's athletes in their family. Um, this movie is very important to me, and it's very... I think it had a very large cultural impact that maybe we don't necessarily recognize, but I think that Gina Davis especially, like, should be very proud of all of the things that have come out of this movie. I fully agree
0: with you. I love League of Their Own. I think it's amazing. I would say it's either this or Field of Dreams is my favorite baseball movie of all time, and that's just baseball movie. Like, that is not women's baseball that it is it is just an enjoyable watch it tells a great story Uh, interesting story for gina davis how she auditioned for this role was she mentioned to penny marshall that she was interested in it obviously penny marshall had seen her act in other movies before but the one thing penny marshall didn't want to do was teach uh, anyone how to play the sport she's like we just don't have time to like learn how to throw a ball or hit a ball and so like if you're going to be the main character i need to know that you at least know how to throw And she watched her just throw one, throw a baseball once. And she's like, yep, all right, cool. You have the role because you're the exact (laughs) type of person we want because you're stunningly attractive. Like, I just need to know that you're at least like somewhat of an athlete. And she's like, yeah. She's like, great. You're in. Let's make it happen.
4: Fantastic. Mike, to your point, Thelma and Louise and League of Their Own came out within a two year period over 30 years ago. And not only do we consider them great movies, we consider them important movies
1: still hmm cultural revel- relevance. Particularly her characters. Yep.
3: Her characters in particular are what you look at when you think of those things. I'm going to steal the joke when
0: I have a second uh, child, because I've already made the joke that like it's impossible for me to like a child as much as I like my first child. And I love the joke from this movie where it's like, here's Dottie, and here's our other daughter, Dottie's sister. I don't think that's <laughs> such a funny, <laughs> fucking simple joke.
1: Or <laughs> can marriage number three to rennie harlan 93 and that lasted until 1997 so she kept going back to the well i love
5: cliffhanger if that matters yeah that's around this time cliffhanger was 93 so it would have been around this time john lithgow baby shout out and i love die hard too as well but i don't love cutthroat island which we'll talk about
4: yeah do you think maybe cutthroat island was the beginning of the end of this marriage
5: uh you you don't want to think so but you read about how all these like movies that were just such a mess to make and we'll talk about it how they were just such a mess to make just took out so much stress on everybody and you don't want to think about that but it's hard not to it's hard not to believe that
1: yeah
5: good night too oh uh yes he
1: did you're right you're right craig so maybe a couple movies here kind of Spoiled the marriage. But before we get to those ones, those other Rennie Harlan projects. (laughs) Well, we're going to stop for lowest critic score, as we do every episode for a movie that Mike had to travel far and wide to get access to. And that is her Golden Globe nominated performance in Speechless, a role which played Julia and was a producer on the film.
2: And no, this is not the TV show starring Minnie Driver as a hilarious mother of several children who probably be in CPS. But yeah, so Speechless, as Kyle mentioned, uh, this movie is not streaming anywhere. You do have to go into the bowels of Amazon and pay way too much money to find it. And then you can watch it at home, which I don't recommend.
1: And uh, Mike, can people contact you for a copy if they get intrigued from this this review?
2: Yes, but only if they have a Blu-ray player, because that was cheaper than the DVD. (laughs) So Speechless, a.k.a. Sleepless a.k.a. the first iteration and best iteration of DC's Batman vs. Superman. So this movie, as the DVD jacket suggests, uh, can speechwriters on opposite sides of the political fence find love and happiness in the heat of election season? This is the hilarious comic premise of Speechless, starring Michael Keaton from Batman and Gina Davis from Thelma and Louise. As Kevin Valick and Julia Mann, Republican and Democratic speechwriters. They're also romantic sparring partners. Add to the mix Kevin's ex-wife, Bonnie Bedelia from Die Hard. And Julia's self-absorbed former fiancé, Christopher Reeve, Superman. And the stage is set for a screwball, for screwball comic hijinks. There were no screwball comic hijinks. Uh, I don't think it was any of the things that this DVD jacket said it was, except for the fact that it did accurately identify the fact that both Batman and Superman were fighting for Gina Davis's heart. (laughs) So I will give them credit. There was one good joke in the entire movie. As you can kind of tell, the story is very basic. It's based on uh, James Carville and Mary Madeline, his wife, who are Mm -hmm. uh, political speechwriters. You know, James Carville has a fantastic voice. I think he's a great person to do an impression of. (laughs) But uh, Michael Keaton is definitely not him. And Gina Davis is definitely not Mary Madeline. And whatever this movie was supposed to be was definitely not what it was. (laughs) Like I said, there was one good joke that I actually remember. uh, And it was where Michael Keaton's character takes over a teleprompter and starts making Gina Davis's uh, candidate do an interpretive reading of uh, Someone's in the Kitchen with Dinah, which was pretty funny. It was basically uh, Anchorman's Go Fuck Yourself San Diego, but more family friendly. The script is really weak. Uh, I think that's the biggest part of it. Is the writing's not great. And one of the things that I know that Gina Davis said at one point was that a lot of people thought that her early stuff was really good. That she was very good at making things quirky and believable. And she's like, no, the writing was what I was attracted to because the quirky was writing, or the writing was quirky and believable. Um, This writing was not quirky and believable. It was pretty bad. I'm kind of surprised Gina Davis was nominated for this because her her role is very bland. And like I said, Michael Keaton's kind of the standout role on this, which is also odd that he was even in this movie because he passed up Batman forever to be in this. So the only reason that Val Kilmer was Batman was because Michael Keaton wanted to be in this instead. Interesting. So there's a there's a great fact for you. Everything I have to say, I will say this. I watched this on Easter Sunday because that's when the DVD showed up. It did not leave me speechless. Uh, they do make a long running joke about it being sleepless. And because I watched this on Easter, it was also peepless. There are many other statements I can make about this movie. <laughs> uh, I didn't learn much because it was teachless. I also didn't feel like the actors showed much range because it was reachless. <laughs> it was set in New Mexico. It was beachless. There was also no swimming in lakes or ponds. So it was obviously leechless. However, it did come out after what I think is Gina's greatest role a league of their own. So it was not peachless, but I always feel like every comedy needs more comics of color. And unfortunately this movie was also cheechless. <laughs> now I will preach less, but I'm still more entertaining than speechless. I give it a 30 out of a hundred, uh, mostly for Michael Keaton, because everything else is really boring. Cheech
1: Marin getting a shout out. He's been looking for, for 82 episodes from the Munsons. since. That was really well done. That's a great review, man. But yeah. For a movie none of us have seen, so we can't chime. There's no contributions we can give,
2: yeah. They, they make this running joke about being sleepless the whole time, and it was just like started this whole thing with my girlfriend and I. Where we were like, Well, what else is this movie?
0: You could have convinced me that there were beaches in New Mexico, lots of sand. Yeah, there's lots of sand. If you would have been like, Yeah, that it goes up against the Pacific, I'd be like, Yeah, that makes sense.
1: You paid $25 for a good creative opportunity for you and your girlfriend, and so I think that was money well spent. <laughs> and brought you guys closer through mutual pain it's like hazing
4: seems like a hell of a tax
1: right off.
2: it's kind of like we go to a john wick movie and we come home and we're like yeah that was keanu reeves and all he does is keanu please so
1: sounds like this relationship is working quite nicely and i'm very happy for you guys it's wonderful
0: Puns like that. I wanted to continue making them, but I, I feel like I'd be stepping on your toes there. So I'm gonna let you <laughs> ride off on the sunset there. Yeah, I would ruin
1: it. Well, that's speechless, folks. If you would like a copy, reach out to Mike at the mic on Twitter, and he I'm sure he would be happy to coordinate a DM to get you a copy. Oh, for sure. All right, let's keep her going. After that 10% bomb that is speechless, the lowest critic score, we have that other big bomb from her career we've talked about multiple times, and that's her role is Morgan, the feared loathsome pirate from cutthroat island
2: highly encouraged me to watch this movie but it is the other movie that i really wanted to watch and could not find really anywhere that well so his review was it is everything that you think a movie called cutthroat island should be in the worst way possible (laughs) i
1: sent some notes to mike last night one of mine was about frank langella plays the baddie in this film like the bad pirate who's trying to track down Morgan and her crew of, of yuppies. And my statement was that Frank Langella has the... I said Frank Langella has the charisma of a fried walnut.
3: <laughs> oh.
1: He is truly terrible in this film. I would say he's the worst part of it. Matthew Bodine is trying. He looks handsome. He's giving it a shot. The funniest thing I saw was that a big reason this was a huge bomb is because the budget just got bloated out of control. And part of it yeah. was that both her and the director, so Rennie, were like on this big V8 kick. So they ordered a shitload of V8 to be delivered to the set. And apparently it was ex- super expensive to ship overseas. And they they shipped so much of it, like the, one of the last days of production, they had like a V8 party. Where everybody drank all the V eight. That's funny. And that was just one of the many reasons why like they there's a lot of special effects, they blow up a lot of ships. A lot of stuff goes awry, but like nothing is convincing. And it's corny as hell. The 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 line reading from Gina Davis in particular is pretty brutal. So don't go watch it. It's not
4: fun bad. Kyle, well, speaking of drinking, she's playing Morgan. Does she play Captain
1: Morgan? Of the famed Beverage? <laughs> Technically, she is a Captain Morgan in this movie. There you go. She speaks glowingly of this too. She gives her like a rally speech and and it's just so mm-hmm. unconvincing. Like if there's <laughs> if I was an extra on set, I'd be like, she's supposed to be like our captain?
0: You can confirm the military rank for a fact. <laughs> <laughs> that I can't. You're not just given captain. You gotta earn captain. It's her right. ship.
1: She's the captain of the ship. She's got a little monkey. That's right. That's right. She's got a little capuchin that sits on her shoulder. And at the end of the the movie, after she retakes the ship, she gets him and she goes, Now will you take my orders? So you see what it was like under a different captain. The little monkey does little monkey things. So it's fu- it's
3: awful. Don't go watch it. I did it though. Do you talk great things about this because she liked doing pirate stuff?
1: Oh, sure. She had a great time. She got to do sword fights. She got to swing
3: through the air. It's like side swipes water world. Because apparently it bombed or did not do very well. Oh, yeah, it did. <laughs> Her month's meters going down. <laughs> and she was like, that's part of the reason why this movie bombed is because that one bombed shortly before this one. And I was like, oh, it's weird that she just kind of sideswiped that movie. <laughs>
1: No, it, it, Waterworld doesn't matter. This movie is terrible. So <laughs> sorry, you know,
2: I thought this movie bombed because the theater or the studio that put it out was like bankrupt or was going bankrupt at the time.
1: They went bankrupt even before this film was finished. Oh, shit. Yeah, there you go. It was a train wreck from the start. It was a shipwreck from the start.
3: <laughs> oh, wow.
1: And go we're going 1996 Long Kiss Goodnight. Night action stars Samantha slash Charlie, depending on what part of the movie. Rigby, you love this movie, right?
5: Yeah, it's fun. I like it. Yeah, it is. Yeah, she plays a, she plays an amnesiac who enlists Samuel Jackson to help her like recover her, remember her identity as an assassin. It's, it's a good movie. It's fun. Just ridiculous 90s action movie.
1: I didn't love it as much, and I, I saw the critic score, and I, I think I align more with the critics on this one than the audience. It's definitely not a critically acclaimed movie, so you're right.
0: Another Rennie Harlan movie. One of those things where I watched it and – I was like, oh, this is a cool premise. And then I out loud was like, did Bourne steal this premise? <laughs> like, is this, yeah, was this the original Bourne movie and Brian Cox? Yeah. And yeah, Brian Cox, succession uh, legend now. Mm-hmm. But I watched, I was like, oh, this is like Bourne took this and was like, how about instead of like a suburban housewife with a happy family, we made it like, you know, a hot young athletic guy. I kind of like the suburban mom who has no idea and you know she's sitting there cooking she's like, oh shit, I'm like really good with a knife. Maybe I was a chef. Who knows? And then she's <laughs> able to like throw the knife and hit a tomato midair and she's like, chefs can do that. That was a thing chefs could do,
2: right? You can also break guys' necks. She at one point makes that comment where it's like she breaks a dude's neck and then just looks at her husband. Chefs do that. Yeah. And to me, this was like
5: peak Samuel Jackson. It was – because this was like – yeah, Pulp Fiction and and Die Hard with a Vengeance had just come out, so yeah, mm-hmm. this was a this is a good good casting for both of them.
1: My favorite part of the movie is actually Craig Bierko as the baddie. I I thought he was fun. I liked his character. Yeah, dude, what do I know him from? Scary movies. He's in a lot of stuff. Yeah, he's in <laughs> scary. Yeah, Scary
5: Movie three, four, yeah. five, I believe. Yeah,
0: I want to say it was like an he plays like an actual creep
3: in something because he looked so familiar. This movie is a Munson's first for me. This is a milestone Munson's first for me. This is my first DNF. I stopped watching this movie halfway through. Wow. Oh, shit, shit. What part did you check out at? Was it the drowning? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was the, yep. The little torture scene. Yeah. That was, I think, towards where I stopped. Yeah. So, what happened? It was more so of like, it was like happenstance. It was late. I was like, I'm going to bed. I'll finish this tomorrow. And I just never came back. I got, yeah. tomorrow came. I looked at my wife and I was like, long kiss, good night. She was like, hell no. <laughs>
2: I thought it was aggressively average. <laughs> it's one of those movies where, like, I, I don't know, like, like you guys said, the premise is really good. It it doesn't quite execute on the premise, but she's in another action movie later on that I found this much more entertaining.
3: Were Little yeah, the, uh, oh, the action in Stuart Little 2 is top tier.
2: A couple years
1: later, 1999, she plays Mrs. Little and Stuart Little. We're not going to talk about it because we're about to cover Stuart Little 2. So I don't want to take away James's thunder by getting into the Stuart Little universe because she's in three different. So we're going to hold on that, but obviously plays the mom character in the original Stuart Little. She competed for the U.S. archery team right around the Willennium. The Willennium was spicing her up. She said, I'm going to grab a bow. I'm going to do my Hawkeye thing. Boom, like we talked about earlier. Well, she capitalizes on all of this, all of her fame and success there in the 80s and 90s, and she actually hosted Gina Davis show in 2000, 2001, 22 episodes. So talk show there, which we've seen with some of the other actors we've covered. Steps away from the, the big screen and hosts her own talk show. I think that's cool. Bonnie
4: Hunt, the only other person we've covered that hosted their own talk show.
1: It's hmm. oh. a good call back there to like episode 33 case. It's our girl. I don't know if anybody else did. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good one. That's great. Good connecting tissue there. Marriage number four starts in 2001, and this one lasts a long time. So she married Reza jarai Jarahi? I don't know. Uh, but married in 2001, divorced in 2018, had three children together over that 18-year span. Finally got out of the industry. She had her daughter
0: at 46 and her twin sons at 48. Yeah. That is insane.
3: Damn.
0: Yeah, crazy.
2: Late than never. One of the things I found out about this was when the relationship ended, Reza, or, which by the way, he is like 15 years younger than she is. Um, yes.
1: So
2: good for her. I mean, also good for him. One of the things I found interesting with this this relationship was when they decided to end the relationship, he filed for divorce, and she was just like, bro, we, we were never legally married, so there's nothing to divorce. <laughs> yeah. The were like, oh yeah, she's right, you guys don't actually have a uh, marriage license. So, yeah. And it was one of those things where she's like, you agreed to this like 18 years ago when we started this whole thing, but you apparently forgot. It was a
0: nasty divorce. It, I think it took like five years to finalize because he was trying to like, on grounds of like yeah we didn't sign the paperwork but like we were married and she's like no we fucking weren't he like reports to the tabloids that like he's sleeping on people's couches because he can't make ends meet like dude you're a fucking plastic surgeon who are you kidding like you're just upset she has more money than you like that's (laughs) like you're doing fine
1: (laughs) all right james we've we've come a long way to hear you talk about the film with an animated mouse and her role as the mom in Stuart Little 2, our largest critic app.
0: Ab- yes, of course. So what Gina Davis is obviously most famously known for is her recurring role as Mrs. Little in the Stuart Little <laughs> universe. I'll be focusing on the most critically acclaimed movie of the franchise, Stuart Little 2, which has a 81-critic score and a 41% audience score. Stuart Little 2 takes place in... Uh, Came out in 2002. It was filmed during 2001. Uh, another 9 11 issue. They had to remove a couple uh, Twin Tower scenes out of this movie. It's an American live action, but also commun- computer animated comedy. It stars Gina Davis, Hugh Laurie, and Jonathan Lipnicki from Jerry Maguire. Also, Michael J. Fox is the voice of Stuart Little and Nathan Lane, who just has an, like an amazing voice for animation, plays Snowball the Cat. Mm-hmm. Although a sequel to the 99 film Stuart Little this plot is a little there's a little more resemblance to the uh, original novel that I, I think we all read when we were in elementary school in which Stuart and Snowball meet a canary named Margalo which is voiced by Melanie Griffith. This is an impossible movie for me to give a score to. It for the people who gave it a 41% it's like what are you looking for for a movie that's made for 8 year olds? and for the people who gave it an 81% it's like <laughs> sure I, like it's 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 a movie for like it's it's not just for kids it's for like small children so like it is very well done the animation is nice it is heartwarming and heartfelt and the jokes are suitable for 8 year old or 6 year old and is that what i'm looking for probably not but am i going to dunk on it absolutely not like i don't see anything wrong with this movie it is as g as it could possibly be where like you could bring any age to this and they'd be like yeah that's fine i'm not insulted by a single thing that took place at 41 is unnecessary hater but like is it (laughs) a great movie i don't know like i don't know where to fall on this like it's fine it's a Stuart little story there Gina Davis's character as Mrs. Little, I think, is the only character who rightfully is concerned about the health and well-being of Stuart. Uh, no one else seems to care that he is a very tiny mouse that doesn't seem to have any sort of aggressive abilities, uh, survival instincts whatsoever. He can drive, but not well. He could fly a plane, but not well. Uh, so rightfully, she should be concerned for him. The only thing that I did have an issue with is there's a moment in the beginning of the movie where he flies the plane and he crashes it outside in Central Park. And the whole family runs out to make sure he's okay, but there's a a, they have an infant daughter and they just like left the baby in the house. And I was like, all right, maybe it's because of where I am in my life, but like, I don't know if you're gonna leave that kid in the house alone. You know, like, do you care that much about this mouse? Like, it's a baby's all by itself. Other than that, it's a fine movie. I think Uh, it made enough money to keep making them.
1: It only took James 82 episodes to not be able to score a film that he reviewed. I appreciate you getting into some of the uh, more uh, critical plot holes. Now I want to watch this. <laughs> did not watch this one, James, but I have seen the original Stuart Little several times where, you know, the fake parents come in to try to adopt him and then Gina and, and Hugh have to go save him. And I just remember Gina being just a lovely mother type character, like yeah. does the job. She just does the job. So is Hugh Laurie. They're both just like
0: very sweet parents and they got a couple good jokes in there. And the jokes are like so clean and heartwarming that like maybe people were upset. It wasn't more like Shrek where it's like an adult joke that kind of goes over the kids heads. It's like, no, it's, it's just the cleanest joke you could possibly have. And people are like, oh, this movie sucks. Like,
2: no, it doesn't. You just, it's not for you. It's for babies. (laughs) She made a comment that the director, Rob Minkoff, said that the movie would only be as believable as her and Hugh Laurie made Stuart to be believable. So, like, the more that they believed that they actually were, that Stuart was not a CGI mouse, but was just a very little hairy boy, like, it would make it that much more believable. And she's like, that's how we went into it. And I went, wow, like, that's actually really good advice. Like, just for acting in general is just really just fully believe in the situation that you're in and you'll probably do okay cuz if she can pretend that you know he's just a tiny little hairy man then i think you can believe just about anything
0: yeah that's why i fully was on her character side she's nervous about him playing soccer you should be nervous about him playing soccer <laughs> everyone <laughs> else is the weird soccer. one
1: if the ball hits him he's dead it's <laughs> he's going
3: to Oh die. he flies into the net and scores oh yeah he he gold.
0: get the yeah he gets kicked kicked very hard but he just happened to be on the ball when it happens so it doesn't hit him he just flies into the net part of it is like oh you know he's got to get out there sometime it's like a classic dad thing you know he's gonna get roughed up a little and she's like he's gonna get stepped on with cleats and i'm on her side i agree he's a mouse and that's dangerous
3: i think these movies are great (laughs) particularly the Stuart little movie Stuart little 2 is more or less fine it's not as good as the first one i like the first one First is great. I think the first one is genuinely great. And I would say Stuart Little walks so Paddington can run. I thought about Paddington the entire time I watched this movie. Mm. Paddington is one of my favorite movies. I love the Paddington movies. I think they are extraordinary. Stuart Little captures the same things that those movies capture. I think they are good, well made films for kids. So it's like a kid can watch this movie and see good filmmaking, like good storytelling. Like there's logical progressions in the story. A lot of things aren't, you know, some of the stuff is contrived because it's a kid's movie, but some of the emotional beats are not. Like what Seward's going through with trying to find friends because his brother has his own friends and they're different people. How does he fit into that? Those type of things are like really strong elements. And those move these movies capture that are gonna be a sweet, straightforward, genuine, like family movie. And we're just gonna tell a pretty good story. I also think Gina Davis is really good in these movies. And these are some of my favorite performances of hers because yeah. she brings out genuine emotion. Mm-hmm. This is a critique of her. I do find her to be a bit one note. Most of the time she's like pretty level mm-hmm. and I don't really buy her when she has to really give emotion, but she's like this, like over the top sweet mother that's bringing a lot of emotion in these movies. And it really works.
1: I think it's important to note contextually right here. After Cutthroat Island in 1995, you see the big-time roles start to dry up. Cutthroat Island is such a big bomb. Long Kiss Goodnight, not great, critically received. And then the Stuart Little films, which, all while great, are for kids, right? So, adult blockbuster pictures where she was doing banger after banger after banger in the 80s and 90s. Just not there anymore. And it really dries up. So, we have another three years until she does the third Stuart Little film. She goes to the TV side for a couple of years. She I mean, she plays the president and commander-in-chief, President Allen, which is a big deal. It's a role that got her Emmy Sagnam and a Golden Globe win for her role in those 19 episodes. Golden Globe. Glo-
0: yeah, she won the Golden Globe for it, but it was still canceled after one season. And she like says like it was heartbreaking to her because it was such a good show and it was just so poorly marketed. Where Tuesday nights it was put up against House, which was like this huge success. And then they moved it uh, and it was opposite to American Idol. And she's like, it, it was just getting crushed in ratings. And it's like an example of upper management at TV channels being like, well, we need our own thing on Tuesday night and we should go up against house. and be like, Yeah, my
3: show's getting demolished. Mm-hmm. He said it also switched showrunners like halfway through the showrunner that was doing all the writing and a lot of stuff. They, they let him go because of like a studio thing. And the new showrunner was just kind of doing like, like is either touchstone or abc a favor he, like asked me he's like all right i'll just do it and he kind of came in and had no idea what was going on like he wasn't on the same wavelength as her at all
1: but my understanding is that you know because of commander-in-chief and all these uh, she really is not doing much work between 2000 and 2007 again thinking back to Thelma and Louise and others she founds the G- gina davis institute on gender and media in 2007 which is been a majority of what she's been doing in the industry for the last 15 plus years. I just find that super impressive. We find folks who start production companies, but to start an entire organization devoted to increasing representation of women in roles and stories and storytelling, I think is super admirable. And she's great. We'll talk about a documentary here in a moment that caused this, but this obviously elevated her to a different level in the industry. 2009, she got that an honorary doctorate from Bates College, going back to the Massachusetts side. So that doctorate you guys talked about. And then we speed five years to when Marnie was there. She does the voice role for Eureko alongside Haley Steinfeld. I noted this just because it's a voice role. And I don't think she's really done that up to this point in her career. Showed up in 13 different episodes of Grey's Anatomy over a five-year span between 2014 and 2018. So doing some TV spots, you know, semi-regular TV spots there. 10 episodes of The Exorcist in 2016. And then 2018, great documentary called This Changes Everything. It's related to her work with the Jenner Institute. And it's her and a bunch of other actresses talking about the essential work of what her foundation does to address gender representation. So it's streaming in a couple different places. Highly recommend people check it out. Really informative. I watched it back in 2018 when it came out and loved it. James. Do you remember her role on Glow as Sandy? I know she did six episodes of that alongside Allison Brie.
0: I do because I watched Glow like five times during quarantine. <laughs> she's great. Yeah. So she plays like a former showgirl turned like entertainment director. And it is. So the show takes place in the eighties and she's like plays like a star who was big in the sixties, who now is like on the business side. And there is a scene where she kind of like fully commits to going back to full showgirl costume and it's really cool like it, it it's like more retrospective like pining for the olden days where she was a star which I guess was kind of like self-reflective which was cool to see
1: a year later, I assume this is the action film, Mike, you were referring to earlier that we were going to mention, but she plays Bobby and Ava alongside Jessica Chastain.
2: You guys would all get along with my father very much. Uh, in his retirement, he distills bourbon and watches terrible movies. <laughs> is he available for a guest
1: spot or, you know, we got him on? Much respect.
2: His latest kick has been these, like, female action movies, um, like Gunpowder Milkshake and Okay and Ava. So he was very much like, oh, like, have you watched Ava yet? Because Gina Davis is an Ava. And so we came home and watched it. And it's not a bad movie. I mean, it's, it's, there are other action movies that are better. I think Jessica Chastain's not bad. Gina Davis isn't really in it. And she gets to play this kind of like bitchy mom, which is kind of outside of her normal, which I thought was at least like interesting and different. But the mom has like a change of heart. And it's just like, where the fuck did this come from? Cause like you literally just been a bitch the entire movie. And then out of nowhere, it's like, what? Okay. And I felt like uh, Long Kiss, Good Night, there's at least like the concept is interesting and like a little more, it pulls you in a little more and the story's a little stronger um, so that, that's where I was like oh yeah, it's you know it's an action movie and she's not the action star in this, she's the, the mom of the action star but it's it's not great.
1: <laughs> Hit and miss sometimes with her attempts at doing action, say that.
2: Oscars 2020,
1: she gets that Gene Herschel Humanitarian Award. Great speech. Go check it out on YouTube if you're interested in hearing what she talked about. Talks obviously a lot about her foundation and the work they do and kind of her vision for what she wants to see screenwriters do and change. And then most recently, she is in a movie that just released at Sundance this past year called Fairyland. I saw it in Park City. And she she's got a smaller supporting actress role in it, but it's a story about Amelia Jones plays uh, a daughter who is spending time with her father living in San Francisco and him slowly coming to grips with being a, a gay man in the 70s in San Francisco and how she has to deal with that as a young girl and the cast of characters he's around. It's a pretty solid film, so I'm very interested to see it when it comes out how it gets received, but it's got a 96% by critics. So it's technically highest critic score, but it hasn't been seen by enough people yet to really like. Deserve be deserving of that, and you guys wouldn't been able to watch it if we made it highest critic score. But like, good fucking luck, Aubrey, if you didn't see it at Sundance, you're not seeing it. You have to search the dark web for a copy of that one. But that brings us to the end. Brings us to top performances, and let's see what Rigby's got. This could be tough. Yeah. So my list is from IndieWire. It's from
5: 2019. Her filmography is actually not that long, so I don't think it's going to be as tough as you think. Okay. That's just me saying that. So it's eight essential performances of Gina Davis's career. Not numerically ranked, but maybe we can do that by ourselves. All movies? All movies.
0: Okay. League of Their Own.
5: Yep. The Fly. Fly, yep. Thelma Louise. Yep. Accidental Tourist? Accidental Tourist, yep. So we're already, we're knocking these out right here. Stuart Little. Stuart Little is not on here.
1: Stop trying to make Fetch happen. (laughs) Beetlejuice. (laughs) Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice, yep. Okay, so those are are those the five Tootsie, maybe? No.
5: Tootsie, no. I think her role is too small to make it on here.
2: So those are the five biggies. I'd say a long kiss goodnight, just because it's yep. different she's a big, yep. she's a big you know?
5: good job, Mike. That's on here. Earth Girls are easy? Marjorie Prime. Uh no and no.
3: <laughs> that movie is not good, by the way. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I mean, is her character big enough in Fletch? I don't know if it is. Yeah, I don't think so. I think we just need two more. I think we have
5: six already. Yeah. Please tell me that Speechless is on there. Nope. Okay. Thank God.
3: Cutthroat Island.
5: Yes. Cutthroat Island, my man. I nice. redeem myself. Stuart Little 2. Nope. <laughs> Did we mention the last one, Rigby? We actually had a pretty
1: in depth discussion about it, too.
0: Oh, Stuart Little 3. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it's a movie, I guess. Transylvania 6 5000? Fuck no. <laughs> <laughs> Quick change. Nope. Uh, maybe hero i guess i don't know hero there you go kyle this hero i mean yeah she's got that great scene i mean okay that's bottom of the list i think for her she's got that that those key five fly yeah film on league of their own beetlejuice x and like those are her five yeah yeah and then you could throw in log kiss Night as a six and how you order those kind of do
0: you put those five up I mean, I didn't see Accidental Tourists and it sounds like we were kind of split on it, but you can put those other four up against almost anybody for me. Absolutely. Yeah,
5: 100%. Mm-hmm. Great. To me, the order of Fletch,
0: The Fly, Thelma Louise,
5: and Beetlejuice, like back to back. Yeah, and Thelma Louise, like those are all in, like, I mean, Thelma Louise is 91. So that's like those four movies in five, six years. Just incredible. What a run. Mm-hmm yeah and a league of their own the next year so 92 i guess i'll say five movies in six years because yeah those are great you said earth girls are easy it was
1: number one right yeah (laughs) obviously (laughs) (laughs) well let's get into the munson meter what we do we rank every actor on a scale of zero to 100 based on a variety of factors that could include longevity project choice pop culture impact acting range awards footprint any other talents they might have personal life comedic chops, box office success, or anything else that matters to us as Munsons. We will start this time with Aubrey.
3: So I had a lot of fun with this. I the way I you know I said earlier, the way I kind of thought about Gina Davis was really simple. It's just, oh, I love Gina Davis. Saw her in a league of their own. Saw her in a couple other things. Love her. Uh diving into her career was interesting. It was highs and lows for me. Started more low than it was high. As a performer, which is usually kind of where I rate my score the highest is just how do I think? How good Are they at acting, in my opinion, or how good have they been? She is a bit one note. She's relatively kind of the same in terms of the way she goes through her stuff, kind of all throughout what I've seen. And so that's a bit of a knock. But what is undeniable is she's just got certified classics on this list. Like she's got, and not just like, oh, these movies are great. We can argue about it. She's got iconic movies on here. Yeah. Like stuff that will not ever be forgotten, and that weighs huge. She's got two Oscar nominations. She's got Golden Globe nominations and wins. She's got an Oscar win. She does a lot of like great work outside of just making movies. Yeah, she's affected change in movies. She talks really highly about the stuff that she's done. She's worked with Disney and Pixar to make changes that are like visibly seen, like she's made a huge impact. So like, she's just a star. And so I think this was a good time and I think she did really good. And I'd give her, I'll give her an 80. James. From 1985 to 1995, it's probably the
0: hottest run we've seen, or at least near the hottest run we've seen. Five movies that are four movies that I would consider all time classics and an Oscar win is a quite intense run you're always going to be a part of the hollywood story when you go on a run like that i love league of their own i think it is a staple movie of my childhood and because of that gene davis will always be someone that i hold in high regard i can see the one note but she's so good at playing it it's like a it's like an unstoppable hook shot you know it's (laughs) why why change it up it just works every time <laughs> and when I learned about her activism and how fascinating her life is, that was a couple more points for me. I I appreciate someone who sits there and is so appalled by something that they're like, you know what, I'm going to fund the research for it, and I'm going to start a own nonprofit for it, and that's something I hold near and dear to my heart. So I give her a couple extra points there. I'm going to give her an 82.
1: All right,
5: Bigby. Yeah, I, I like Gina Davis a lot. She reminds me a lot of Holly Hunter in that like. They can't really go wrong in anything they're in. The movies might be bad, but they're always kind of the, a good performer in it. Love Thelma and Louise, love The Fly. I mean, The Fly is one of my favorite science fiction movies ever. It's up there with like Terminator for like like just awesome 80s movies. I, I mentioned that I like The Long Coast Goodnight, even though you guys might not feel the same way. <laughs> but love fletch even though her role in that's really small league of their own is obviously an american classic it's that's so rewatchable and her character is the best part of that movie so yeah she's gonna get a high score for me she's gonna get an 84
2: mike our guest wants i think i'm just gonna end up echoing a lot of the things that you guys have said i think you know as people have said you know 1985 to 1995 she may have been one of the hottest women in hollywood i mean not just in terms of you know looks but also the work and the the quality of the work that she was doing was really incredible and i mean obviously i've kind of written a love letter to uh league of their own and here's a movie that was very personally important to me i agree with all of the one noteness i think one of the things that this like aubrey said coming into this i was very much i love gina davis like a league of their own beetlejuice tootsie like all these movies that you know you kind of know and then i got to watch more of them and things like earth girls are easy and transylvania six five thousand and the long kiss Goodnight, and it's one thing I will give her a lot of credit for and I give her a very high score on is her project choice. Mm -hmm. She does a very good job, especially earlier, earlier in her career. She did a very good job picking off things that even if her character may not have been the most interesting person in the project, the project itself was interesting. And so people liked it. You know, I think a lot of cultural impact, you know, the, the research, the, the gender, the media and gender stuff that she's been doing. I think a lot of that's, Really, really high up there for me, too. I give her a bonus point because she's an archer, Um and I also instructed archery, and I know inc- how incredibly difficult it is to not just learn how to do that, but to do it really, really well. So I give her a bonus point for that, so I gave her an 83.
4: Okay. Well, as you guys know, I'm always on the same set as the critics, so her ranking seventh compared to all the others in critic ranking. That's... No, I'm kidding. She's the best. I've... I came in with a, what I thought was a very accurate score, and I've continued to add to it all night. And you guys have said it all, but I'm going to give her a 90. Oh, Ooh. I like it. I started with an 85, and just Dang. things kept coming up that I kept liking. So she went up. Okay.
1: You guys know after the last episode, I mentioned that the John Slattery episode was just not terribly fun for me, the research. I just didn't really enjoy it. And I'm glad that Gina has made Munsons fun again for me because I just had a lot of fun watching all these films. Which is great. I, I even if she was a small part of it, I was watching movies like Fletch and that I've never seen before and loved it. It was just a really good time. And I enjoy her as a performer. I love the off-screen work. I judge a lot of pop culture on like how easy is it for me to find photos of you from your earliest roles. And I can find a photo of Gina Davis from pretty much everything she's ever done. Whereas John Slattery trying to find photos of anything that dude did in his early career was uh, impossible. They just didn't exist anywhere out there. So it screams to her pop culture. She could be a lead. She could be a supporting. Yeah. She's one note in a lot of ways. Like she was never going to be great. Like having the fire to step up and be angry. And yeah, that's just not her thing. But what do you talked about? She's good at doing. She's very good at doing. She slowed down in recent years. But she's still a big get. Like, the the Fairyland Q&A, they were all asking about Gina Davis. Like, How'd you get Gina Davis? Like that? How'd you get Gina in your movie? Yeah, she's going to lose a point or two for Cutthroat Island because I'm the only one that actually sat there and watched that damn thing, and she's not a pirate in the slightest bit. And I've, I've got a high bar for piracy in my Munson meter, <laughs> and uh, she didn't do herself any, any favors. So with all that said, I'm going to give it her an 80. And that is going to give Gina Davis... And eighty-three point one seven, which puts her in sixteenth place, between Laura Linney and Brian Cranston.
2: Ooh! Wow, oh, you outshoot Brian Cranston.
1: That's 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 some weight. Dame's would not love to hear that, but yes, yeah, she did. I know you said seventh, but wasn't she like around twentieth or something like that? Case for one of her data points. She was twenty-three for a total. That's what I thought. So pretty close, pretty close to that number. A little bit higher than that. Yeah. Aubrey, what does she got coming?
3: There's two things. One is in post-production. One's in pre-production. The one in pre-production is called Cowgirl's Last Ride. Uh, a woman who has escaped from a care facility makes a journey to her home or pursued by her son with whom she must make peace. She's the only person like attached to it. The director, someone I haven't really heard of, the writer, someone I haven't really heard of. I think this movie's getting made because Gina Davis wants it to get made, mm-hmm. but it sounds like it could be something that she could kind of sink her teeth into. So I'm interested in that one.
1: The other one sounds very interesting. <laughs> Not because of the title, but it doesn't hurt it either.
3: The other one is in post production. So this one's like done filming, I'm pretty sure. Uh, and it's called Pussy Island. Hmm. And it's a thriller, stars. Alongside Gina Davis, Channing Tatum, Christian Slater, Haley Joel, Alderman, Ali Schwatkat, Yeah. Kyle McLaughlin. Naomi Ackie. Simon Rex. Simon Rex. And it's directed by Zoe Kravitz. She also wrote, uh, she also co-wrote it. Yep. I'm very interested in this. Yeah, I'm interested in this one too. If this could be just an incredible movie or really bizarre. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of here for either. <laughs> like Zoe Kravitz as a director, that that's surprising. But it's also intriguing, kinda like Zoe Kravitz is just in general. Like we'll see. Yeah. I'm not sure what I'm looking at, but I'm interested. And I feel like the movie could really take on a lot of really interesting things. So I would say she's got two really interesting projects lined up. So something to look forward to.
1: Next episode is going to hit May 11th of 2023 and we're bringing back Crystal Clark. She was here with us for the Halle Berry Mm -hmm. episode and the wheel selected one of these five actors and she chose to join us for one of these five. We have Jason Statham. Maybe we have another Fast and Furious star, a couple of Fast and Furious stars on this list because we got Idris Elba, Mm -hmm. uh, Lawrence Fishburne, Christine Baranski and Lauren Weedman. What's our thoughts on that list? That's a really good
3: list. This is a list.
4: Have we done a fast and furious person yet? Jaimin is the only one. I would
0: love to do uh I would love to do Lawrence Fishburne. Larry.
4: Okay. Larry.
0: Kyle, if it's Lauren Weedman, you got to hit her up on Instagram and just have her come on the episode.
1: I'm going to 100% tag her and I can't wait for her confusion again when she goes, "What is this?"
0: <laughs> <laughs> just text her, be like, "Just want to talk about your career on our show."
2: I'd be down for Idris Elba just so you can watch uh, Pacific Rim multiple times. Luther, I love
3: Idris Elba. The Wire. Does Idris Elba pass the the credits test? Because he's got a lot of movies. He's in a lot of stuff. Also, uh, I would shut this podcast down by talking about Beast of No Nation. Ooh. What's the movie that just came out where he punches the lion? I wanted, I wanted, I wanted <laughs> that's to Beasts, I would...
1: that's Beast of No Nation. That's what that is.
0: <laughs> no, <laughs> that's <it's laughs> not. But I wanted to say it was called like Beast or something. It's, like called, Beast. It is it's called, called
5: Beast. Okay. Beast yeah. Also, <laughs> not
1: terrible. He wasn't bad in Three Thousand Years of Longing either. Didn't mind him. He's a really interesting actor. And he plays Knuckles in Mm -hmm. Sonic the Hedgehog, and he's Heimdall in the MCU. He's an interesting dude. I
0: want Lawrence Fishburne so we could talk about Predators because he's remarkable in that movie.
1: You do love that. I guess then I'll answer that with, I want
4: Statham so we could talk about The Expendables.
2: Yep, almost died during filming. I decided to change my vote. I actually want you guys to do Christine Baranski next week because she's been on every single television show known to man. Yes. And I think that Kyle... Yeah, for real. ...television... (laughs) <laughs> also, you guys will then watch every Mama Mia ever made. Would. We'd also get to talk
5: about Bowfinger, which is a a great movie from the nineties. Never seen
0: Bowfinger. Great movie. She plays like the bitchy sister-in-law or mother-in-law in like every other movie.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I don't know how much range she has, but I'm sure nails it. The, though the most recent one I've seen is Bad Mom's Christmas, and she plays a fucking tyrant in that movie. A tyrant of a mom.
3: The movie's also not terrible.
1: No, I didn't mind it. It was fine. I've seen it a couple times. We watch it for Sarandon episodes, so that's why I watched it recently. <laughs> Who do we think Crystal picked? Who was with us for Halle Berry last time?
3: Statham. Larry. I think it's Idris Elba.
1: Okay, we're just going down the list?
5: I'll go with Craig and say Fisher. Oh, we're going
1: back up the list? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for someone to take Baranski, and then whoever's left was taking Weedman. <laughs> Crystal doesn't decide. Mike doesn't decide. Uh, we don't decide. The wheel decides, and we'll see what happens. Mike. You're a lot of fun, man. We love having you here. Absolutely. A lot of fun. I get to speak on behalf of the yeah, this was great. Hey guys, it's
0: always fun. Appreciate the research.
1: Yeah, I mean, the passion, the research. Any plugs
2: you want to give or words of wisdom to the crowd? I mean, ZTM's still going on. We're doing some fun stuff. We had to postpone the menu uh, last month, so we'll be doing that one coming up soon. I'll get to play Chef Slowick, and my girlfriend will be playing margo so that'll be fun we also have uh, i'm trying to think uh, i still have not done joe dirt i know we talked about that last time i was here on my episode i promised i would do that but before i came back and i failed miserably uh, i got a new job you guys gotta you know back off on me on that one <laughs> we're still rocking and rolling and doing a lot of things so look us up at Zooming the movies um, on Facebook or Kevin Pollock's Zooming the movies. Um, You can always find me at Mike at the Mike. That's M-Y-K-E at the Mike M-I-C on Twitter. And I'm usually there talking about sports and movies and TV and politics and random stupid stuff that 33 year old men talk about. So. That's good, brother. Appreciate you being there. Sure.
1: All right. Well, as we wrap up, you can find us on Twitter, Munson's at Movies. You can find us on the IG, Munson's at the Movies. You can email us, munson's at the Movies at gmail.com. Any final thoughts from Gina Davis? Well, listen, it was really nice <laughs> meeting you fellas, but uh, uh, I have to go. And feel free to use the pool. Munson's out. <sighs> All
0: right,
3: let's go. Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a Ph.D. in stupidity. Doctor, shall we?